With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. Today, Bryce Simon is with me. We're going to dive deep into the 2024 NBA draft. We're going to talk a little bit about the players you need to know. We're going to talk about the state of the class going into the 2023-24 college basketball season. For those of you that don't know, the college basketball season starts on Monday this coming week. Really excited. It's going to be great to dive into some prospects, talk about some players. I'm doing a mock draft that will come out, I believe, the following week over at The Athletic, which means Bryce and I will have to do a mock draft. After that, at some point where him and I kind of go back and forth and do stuff. So that'll be great on the show, not next week, the week after. But today we're going to do just a big picture look ahead of what you need to know is probably an NBA fan listening to this show in regard to the 2024 NBA draft. I've prepared 10 questions to ask Bryce. I might throw one or two others in there because Bryce is somebody that loves to do a lot of research ahead of time. And I am somebody that likes to throw things at him occasionally. Uh, nothing crazy. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll get there at the end. But I'm super, super excited to have Bryce on the show with me to talk 2024 NBA draft. Bryce, what's going on, buddy? Not much. I was telling you, I just got done with third and fourth grade basketball practice. My son's a third grader. And listen, I've coached at the college level. I've coached girls at the high school level. I've coached boys at the high school level. I've been an head as coach, an assistant coach, everything. I'm more exhausted after coaching an hour and 15 minutes of a third and fourth grade boys practice than I am of anything else I've ever coached. Oh, and I was telling you, man, it's it's a struggle for me and my boy, man. It's not necessarily great for our relationship. I love the kid to death, but my competitiveness takes over, and so um, this will be good. This will be. I got my energy. We'll be good to go here, but this will be good to to do some basketball, but not that because I I need competitive Bryce. Here we go. We got competitive Bryce on the pod tonight. It's going to be great. So. The way we're going to structure this is I have, like I said, created 10 questions to ask Bryce. I think they kind of filter into one another, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So as we talk through it, we're going to just kind of dive into this class and explain what we like. And in many cases, honestly, at the top for me, what I am very, very questionable on. So let's just dive into this. Let's get started two and a half minutes into the show. And then maybe at the end, I'll make Bryce talk about movies. But Number one, what is your general thought on this draft class as the process fully starts? 
Yeah, I I think my company line, quote unquote, about this draft so far is still the same until we get some more data points. And that I don't think it's great at the top. I don't think there's that number one overall pick type guy. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but I have some optimism that it could be decent in the middle of the first round. Maybe there's some good depth where teams at the back end of the lottery, in the teens, maybe even into the lower 20s, feel good about the quality of player, probably a role player, but the quality of player they're going to get. I I believe that there's going to be some of those guys, but if you're drafting in the top five, eight right now, if you were, based off the data we have, I'm not sure you're overly excited about the 2024 NBA draft. That's how I feel. Uh, I think that this draft class is about as poor at the top as I can remember it. I kind of did a quick little project for the mock draft that I'm writing for in a week and a half or whatever. And I've done four draft guides now, four of those crazy 75,000 to 110,000 word draft guides. And in those four years, I have had 15 players in tier one or tier two, or in Vic's case, I had Vic kind of in his own tier. I think I had literally named it tier Vic. Uh, There in this class is, in my opinion, not a player I would have in tier one or tier two right now and to kind of list out the names of who I've had in tier one and tier two Lamella ball, Anthony Edwards, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, Jalen green, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Jr. Paulo Bancaro, Jaden Ivy, Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, Cam Whitmore, Amen Thompson. So 14 of those 15 players were taken in the top five. Uh, Whitmore fell due to myriad factors that we've talked about on the show over the course of the summer regularly uh some of those guys have hit some of them haven't i'm not sitting here saying that i'm perfect in any way shape or form in terms of evaluating players but that's 15 guys that i've had in tier one or tier two coming into the class 10 of those players were players that i would have had as tier one or tier two players by this point in the process already nine months out from the draft. So five of those guys were not, which means at some point, just by the law of numbers here, you would expect that somebody, basically 1.25 players based on these four seasons, will emerge and become a real tier one or tier two player. Right now, I, I don't have the guy. To be honest with you, Bryce, do you have the guy? No, I mean, we're going to get to the question later and I hate the question because I don't have an answer. I'm going to give some names that I don't love. And one thing I think we have to be careful of as evaluators this draft cycle is that we don't just start putting these guys into tier one, tier two, just because we don't have them. Eventually, we have to start talking about guys as the number one pick or guys in the top five. But we that doesn't mean we can talk about them as franchise changers, as generational talents, those type of things that we said about Wimby, that we said about Cade. 
Chet, all of these different guys. We have to be careful. And, and I'm no gatekeeper of the NBA draft world. Like I'm just getting into it. So I don't mean it to sound that way. I'm more so talking to myself of, I can't talk myself into Alex Saar, even if I think he's a top three pick, that he's some franchise changing player just because I have him as a top three pick. I think that's going to be important context throughout this class. Yeah, like I really like Alex Saar. The guy I've compared Alex Saar to is like Nick Claxton throughout this class, right? So Nick Claxton wouldn't be a tier one or a tier two guy. Like I think Nick is a top 10 defensive player in the league and has been really, really good. And I had a high uh, draft grade on Nick coming in as well. I had Nick, I think at like 19 or 20 in that class and he ends up going 31. And you know, if I'm saying that, you know, a guy like Nick Claxton with maybe like some floor spacing and shooting ability is the number one overall pick potentially, or is like in the conversation to be number one, that's not a great sign. So I say all of that to say, if you're at the top of this draft class, you should not be wildly enthused. Maybe having said that, I agree with you that there has a chance to be some depth And this leads into the next question that I want to ask you now. What have we learned so far in this class based on the two months of play that we've seen, be it colleges going overseas and playing games, international play having occurred already, the G League Ignite having had its series with Perth, going over and playing in Singapore, the NBL having occurred. Uh, what is the biggest takeaway for you so far in regard to what we have learned already? Yeah, I'm just going to throw out some names. One, Alex Saar, I think, has been a huge riser. We don't need to continue to talk about him. Maybe we can if you want. But we've talked about him at length. I think he's got a lot of attention. And the NBL in general, Sam, I think has made a real name for itself by starting when it started before college, Ignite, and all of that. I'm interested to see how many guys they get. I think Saar will get drafted. Clintman will get drafted. Is there a third guy for sure? I know there's a bunch of names we've talked about. Do you feel confident saying there's a third guy out of the NBL real quick? Yes. I don't know who it is necessarily. I will say this, like Alex Tui is a name that I've gotten actually like quite a bit of uh, in like the last few weeks from scouts. I'm still like a little bit more skeptical on Tui just because of the athleticism level, but shooter, you know, really, really smart, knows how to play at a high level. I I think that that is a real potential dude to watch for sure. I like Ben Henshaw. I don't think Ben Henshaw will go in the first round if he even declares this year. Uh, Ben's also like not in Perth's rotation right now. He's got to get some playing time, right? I think Ben's beyond my comprehension. Yeah. Neither of us understand this. Yeah. But I think what I will say is that the thing that I feel best about in this 2024 draft class, and it's why I scheduled this question below the first one, is actually the international class. I think this international class is a chance to be really, really strong. You mentioned Alex R. Bobby Clintman is interesting. Uh, Nikola Topic has been fantastic so far. Is he the biggest uh, riser, Sam? I feel like he's the biggest riser, like just from what yes. I didn't even know who he was when I started my stuff. And now I may have watched more of him than anybody. I think Nikola Topic. I, I will have him in the lottery in the mock draft that I do coming up. Okay. He is a six foot six lead guard who is a genuine distributor and passer. Absolutely. That is also like a real scoring guard. He can sure. get into the paint. 
and score around the basket at the international level, at least. We'll see how that looks at the pro level, playing against better athletes. He can shoot at a pretty real clip. He just has real dribble pass shoots, out shootability out of ball screens in a way that you really like to see. The game that was most interesting to me in a lot of ways was the game he actually played this summer against USC, uh, against Isaiah Collier. We got to see those two they didn't really guard each other that often. Honestly, the more exciting, fun thing was watching Nikola Topic try to uh, use his eyes to manipulate Kobe Johnson on the weak side and, and try to like make Kobe and they, they would play like a cat and mouse game on the weak side where Topic is always looking second and third level and Kobe Johnson's trying to read where he's going. That was really, really fun to watch. But what Topic does is he can just get consistent penetration and make decisions. And to me, guys that are six, six and can dribble pass shoot and have his passing. Those guys go somewhere in the lottery at the end of the day, even if there are real concerns in terms of his defense, which is non-existent right not, now, like truly not good. non-existent yep. and his overall athleticism level. But Topic, just in terms of high basketball IQ production, what he has done to this point in his career is a guy that really, really has stood out to me uh, as a real riser. Yeah, he's real crafty, plays like this slow, methodical pace is how I would say, but it works for him. Like it really does it. You have to watch a, more than one game of him, I think, Sam, to really appreciate and fall in love with him because you can almost think it's not real if you only see it once. I will say quickly on the defense, and I don't mean to crush him, but I, I wrote in my notes, like, I'm not sure he cares to play defense and, and I really really disliked it but everything else you said about his offense is true he has good size and he's hooping right now like he's playing really really well and for me I think he's been the biggest international riser we've seen and another one I want to ask you about I think a draft darling at least on social media is going to be Melvin Ajinka. What do you think about him and his game because I've heard people talking about him lottery and I don't think I'm even close to there with him. Certainly, I say not close, but not lottery. So yeah, certainly looks the part. Uh, yes. Six seven, real athlete, gives effort on defense yep. at least, sure. and yep. is more than happy to get out there and shoot the ball. Oh like, yeah, he is going to fire it. <laughs> yes, he is. I still am trying to wrap my head a little bit around the way he plays uh, in terms of what his feel for the game is. And I would like to know a little bit more about just his overall athleticism uh, level in comparison to other like NBA caliber players. Uh, he looks the part though, and can certainly shoot it and plays hard defensively at six foot seven. And like, those are things that matter at least to me. The the interesting thing is the guy I was like completely out on was Zach Rizachet. Yeah, yeah. And he has been great to start the year over in France for Borg. Do you have strong opinions on Rizachet yet in the games that you've seen? No, like I was definitely higher on him than what I thought going in or after my first one. Um, I think I put, he looks young and talented, but has it all translated just yet. And then the more film I've watched, it's like, 
oh yeah, this is really starting to translate. There was a sequence in one of the games I watched where he rotates and then does the thing I love where he gets his hand in the one more passing window. Then he gets a box out and a rebound, attacks a closeout offensively and makes a tough hanging floater off the glass. So I just feel like it's every time I watch again from the first anyway, it's gotten better with an, like the actual practicality of who he is and what he can do. So I agree. I don't really love the shot mechanics. The shot sure. still feels quite flat to me and he like brings it back towards his face. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around the athleticism level. But the thing that he does is he knows how to play. Like he has high level feel for the game. I can't remember. I think he was six, nine and a half when I saw him at hoop summit, that number kind of is ringing a bell to me in yeah, my yeah. head. Sure. So yeah. you're six, nine and a half and you can play with the ball in your hands a little bit. You have good feel, you cut, you know how to play without the ball as well as with the ball and you make decisions in a real way. G- genuinely, when I saw him live at hoop summit, I was like, this is like not a first round pick. Like I, I did not see it in any way, shape or form, but Some guys go to Hoop Summit and it's not a great setting for them because they work better in a scheme that has real uh, construction and, you know, they they need to have guys around them that they have some chemistry with in some way, shape or form. You know, they need a scheme to work within. Rizache might just be one of those guys. And sometimes I think in general, the international players and European players particularly can be those guys. So, uh, is a guy that I've been quite low on throughout the process, but I'm willing to totally look at what he's done so far and just say, Hey, this guy might be like a thing that we have to pay attention to. We certainly have to pay attention to, but like he might be a real, you know, top 20, you know, maybe even lottery pick at this point. And I think that's, I went into my evaluation as like a top five guy. Cause that's where I had seen people talking about him. I was like, man, I don't really see that. But as a first round pick, I do see it. And whenever I pulled the stats earlier today, he was 39% from three on just under three attempts, just 68% from the free throw line. So those numbers will be interesting. One thing that I noted in at least two of the three games I watched was I'm actually kind of intrigued by his ball screen defense. I'm always interested by that with these taller players. He wasn't great at it, Sam, but he had the fundamentals, which I always look for. Does he push up to the ball handler? Does he hug up? Does he try to get the lead foot over the top of the screen? Those little intricacy things that some guys just flat out don't have, maybe they're more naturally gifted. I thought he had those things, and that was interesting to me because if you're going to be that size and play some on the perimeter, I always want to say, like, can you navigate a ball screen or are you just going to die on every single one when teams put you in those the other team that we haven't so we should also just note you know Tijon Saloon is a guy that yeah. uh you know certainly scouts are quite excited about six nine six eight I think he's actually six nine uh I would say four man I think he's like Agreed. pretty solidly a four yes. uh real athlete I think working on the ball skills at this point still kind of working on feel for the game but quite young. I believe he is still 18 years old, uh, has been productive in a lot of different places uh, throughout the course of his career. He is somebody that scouts, you know, have mentioned to me as a guy that they're really looking at overseas. Uh, You know, in terms of the NBL class, I would be remiss if I didn't note also AJ Johnson and Trenton Flowers, guys that had some degree of hype that, you know, have certainly struggled throughout the course of the early NBL season. 
finally, there is this other enormous team in the room, <laughs> the G League Ignite, who we have seen play five games, uh, I believe, at this point. The two Perth games, the three games over in Singapore. Uh, Modest did not play over in Singapore, Correct. so we're you know kind of missing some pieces here and, and there. Dar- Darlin hasn't played at all. Correct. What has your impression been of the G League Ignite to this point? I want to hold off on Holland because I think we'll talk more about him a little bit later. Tyler Smith, maybe a guy we can dive into a little bit. Azano Mansa is one I'm struggling with. I, where are you at on Almansa? Me and Adam had this text back and forth a couple weeks ago because we were in different places with him. And so we kind of went back and forth. Yeah. Uh, before Adam was signed with the 76ers. We need to not blow up Adam's spot anymore uh, with Adam now working for a team. Uh, So on Almanza, where I'm at is he knows how to play. He definitely has real feel for the game. He knows how to short roll, knows how to roll to the rim. I think he understands how to use the basket, the shield, uh, himself from defenders in order to get some space to minimize his lack of athleticism, which is really intriguing. I think he's fluid in the way that he thinks the game and processes it, but he is a below average athlete in terms of explosiveness that also can't shoot right now. And those are two very difficult things when you're also six nine ish six foot ten and you're not really a center either so i'm struggling a little bit more with him i am really excited to see him play some g league games here coming up because i think he could be somebody that is really really either moves up or moves down in one way or another i think that's where i'm at and so like is the vision Alperin Shingun, is that like the path that, that I, I think need? that's the path? Yeah, is that the okay? And and I don't mind that then, but my thing with I'm always a little bit nervous with those guys because then the feel has to be super, super high and it all has to translate. Ideally, the shot comes around eventually, so I, I can see that. Like, I put that in my notes with some of it. I, another thing, because I think I talked to some people who are like, oh, he's switchable defensively. Like he can really move on the perimeter. So I'm interested to see how he holds up there in terms of different, you know, ball screen schemes the NBA will be able to use him in. So I'm just, I think you said it perfectly there. I, I want, definitely want more data on all these guys. Maybe I just need more on Almansa to really get a feel for who he is, what the role is, what the vision is for what he is in the NBA. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. 
and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. I think that's definitely where I'm at on him at this point. Uh, let's go to actually. I want to talk real quick about Modest. Uh, where are you on Modest at this point? Because I I, do, I will not bring him up in the number one conversation. Right. Now. Okay, we can talk. I, I think I've said it here before. Maybe the first time I joined when I was just guesting, I didn't love the idea of him going to the ignite. I think yeah. he's going to struggle physically with the bumps and just the physicality of the game. I, I wanted to see him go to college. I thought he would have thrived better there. We'll see again. It, it's tough. Cause I immediately was judging him on this curve of being the number one overall player in the 2024 NBA draft. Like a lot of people were talking about him or at least top three. I just haven't seen it. The, I, I, what I've watched. I haven't thought like that just, superstar power now maybe nobody ends up with that like we talked about and he still ends up the best option if he shoots insane from three and does those things if he's the best shooter in the class at his size with some secondary creation and maybe a neutral defender then maybe he still ends up in that conversation but he's another guy i'm probably a little bit lower on than the consensus right now until i see some more data i think i'm a little bit lower on him in terms of like his grade consent than like what consensus would have him now, just because I don't know what he does defensively. Uh, and I don't know what he does on the ball right now. I think the idea behind him is like a Franz Wagner type of player. But he doesn't have like that a, ball skill. Does he Sam? That's my point. I don't think he has the ball skill that Franz has, Franz developed that over the course of his career. Uh, it's possible that he could get that, but I think Franz was ahead of where Modest is at this stage. I do think Modest can shoot, 
And I think Modest plays well off of the ball as a cutter. I think he does a good job uh, being able to cut back door and doing some things that way. He's he's a tough one for me. I, I'm with you on this. M- Modest has been a very tough eval for me. Uh, I, I will probably have him more in like back half of the lottery right now uh, as opposed to in that top three or four mix. Uh, but we'll see. The, the last point I want to make on the Ignite, though, is a lot of these guys right now, their best position is the four. Uh, Ron Holland is like a pure three, I think. I, and we'll I talk agree about with Ron that here 100%. Yeah. Momentarily. Uh, modest ball skill wise, I think is more of a four. Izzy Almanza is like a four or five. Tyler Smith is like a four, five, five, four. Uh, Babakar Sané like just does not have enough skill to play anything other than like the undersized four kind of role. Uh, it's just a strangely built roster right now, which makes it quite difficult to actually get a real eval on these guys in any way, shape or form. And I am quite worried about that part of it, I think is where I will end this statement. Uh, I I am worried about all of these guys having significant positional overlap in being able to actually like evaluate them properly. I've also been quite vocal in my uh, criticism in general of the ignite and getting proper strong evaluations on these players due to uh, different choices that are made there. And if you look, you know, the track record is not great in terms of guys like actually helping and building their stock, you know, Marjan Beauchamp, I think is probably like the real prime example of somebody who like really lifted themselves. So I say all of this to say that I I am worried about the ignite this year uh, is a general take. Well, I think what I would like to see, and maybe London Johnson ends up being this guy, is somebody that can truly create and get these other guys shots. Is is Matas going to be able to show that he's the best shooter in the class without a true point guard creating? Is Tyler Smith going to be able to show what he does shooting-wise and all that without a true creator on the ball? And so that's what I'm really interested to see is, is London Johnson that guy? Does Holland, does does that actually let Holland grow his all-around game? Does Matos try to do it and do those situations end up helping their draft stock or does it ultimately hurt them? So I think that's going to be fascinating for me to watch because some of those guys are going to look better with a primary creator getting them good looks. Let's go to question three now, and this is just kind of a base level to end this conversation. Uh, Where are you on the international class in this class? Well, how do you rate it coming in? Yeah, so I just try to compare it to last year, which is completely unfair because of Wimby. But so if you kind of take Wimby out, there was six total. Even with Wimby, there was six total draft picks. Two were first round picks. I feel like this class could have more first round picks and more total picks than the 2023 class. So I feel like it's uh, uh, in good shape. I don't know if that's because it's that good, if it's because of what we've talked about where this class is a little bit weaker. I find myself excited about the international class. I've probably watched, I think I counted 20 plus 30 game full games already between MBL and then, you know, mega and, and all of those overseas. 
And I'm nervous. I don't want to forget about those guys as we get into the college basketball season. That's what's interesting to me as well. Topic and these guys are getting all this love. What happens when Holland starts playing games and Edwards and all of these other college players? I want to make sure I, I remember and, and save time for those guys as well. But I think it's good. Am I off here? Yeah. So in 2022, I believe there were 10 international players taken, but only two first rounders. Okay. Uh, in 2021, I believe there were eight international players taken. I would expect there to be more international draftees this year than what the expectation is. Okay. Maybe. Uh, I don't know if they'll get to 10, but I think the players that people are going to gravitate toward this year are going to be more the international side as opposed to the uh, domestic side. Question number four, who is your number one player entering this college basketball season? Ron Holland. I'm just going to go with Ron Holland with all due respect to Justin Edwards. Like he's the best player I've seen so far. And uh, the data we have right now on November 2nd, that's what I'm going to go with. He was actually better than what um, I thought with the Ignite. The the shooting numbers weren't great, but he made some shots. I thought he looked fluid. I I like his game. I want to – I'm sure you'll talk about him. I want to talk to you about his defense at some point before we move on, though, because I think he plays really, really hard. But people have called him an elite defender, and maybe they mean he's an elite – level defender like in projection he gets beat off the bounce way more than i'm comfortable with calling an elite level defensive prospect so if we're just talking about the tools then cool like i'm okay with it i I just wanted to acknowledge that there's still a lot of room to grow just in terms of where he's at right now with some of that on-ball defense yeah i generally am with you on that uh offensively he has been quite productive so far he has a great first step in terms of his dribble. He can drive in a straight line. I think we've seen some deceleration uh, tools from him as well that have been quite good. Uh, The shooting remains a bit of an open question to me. He has knocked down some shots here and there throughout the course of the process to this point. I would like to get a better feel for where he is as a shooter, particularly in pull-up situations as we go through this process more. Uh, Motor is exceptionally high. It runs hot. He plays hard all the time. I love that part of Ron Holland's game. I don't see like a crazy amount of shiftiness of, you know, passing and creation at a super high level. Uh, Defensively, I kind of agree with you. I think he gets over aggressive a lot of the time. Like, I think a lot of his mistakes are built out of like, I'm going to press way up on somebody and then somebody's just going to like blow by me real quick. Uh, off the ball, it's been a little bit hit or miss to this point. Again, I think that ignite system is not great for always picking up, uh, defensive capabilities. So I guess where I'm at on Holland is. In the mix to go one, but I'm not enthused about taking Ron Holland at one. Uh, I will also say, like, people had him listed at, like, 6'8 in high school. We think he's going to be more like 6'6, right? And so that's what I wanted to ask, and I think you touched on a little bit. I have in my notes, I'm not going to call him a forward. I think Ron Holland is a wing 
like he is a wing yeah. yeah i see a lot of wings backslash forward and maybe some people use those terms interchangeably i know we all have our own lingo and how we he, he's not playing the four in my opinion he is a wing he is what i would call a wing not a forward based on his size who he's able to guard and what i've seen so i, I think we're in lockstep there in terms of he is a wing yeah, uh, he is, for what it's worth, he is listed at 6'6 on the Ignites website as well. Um, so it does seem like that was just a bit of an overestimation from people when he was at the high school level. Uh, Justin Edwards is a guy that I think I'm a little bit higher on than some people are. Uh, you know, six foot seven to six foot eight wing with long arms who can dribble pass shoot. He doesn't really take anything off the court, defends well. Uh, I think he passes at a reasonable level, not a great level necessarily. Straight line driver, not like a shifty shot creator or anything, but rebounds super hard, defends well, plays with real aggression. I, I just kind of think he's the kind of wing that teams look for as a starter, uh, as like a complimentary starter in the NBA, and I feel pretty good about him. I'm excited to see what he looks like as the college season gets going. He is going to be at Kentucky this year. Alex Sar is the final guy that I think that we should note. Uh, you have alluded to how much you like Sar throughout the course of this conversation. Maybe let's uh, go there. Why are you such a fan of Alex Sar? Yeah, I was actually talking to somebody today about Sar, and we were talking about just evaluating these guys in general and how certain guys just strike you as moving like NBA players. And I don't know the right way to explain it, but. I remember going back doing my surface level stuff on SAR and I was like, this dude just looks like an NBA player. He moves so fluidly to me and it was at his size. And so then the questions came from, it's all flash. He lacks consistency and those type of things. And then we saw him play against the Ignite and then the NBL Blitz. And you start to see that there was more consistency with what he was doing. He started to space the floor. It, it, again, there's questions around the jumper. It, it hasn't been perfect. The numbers aren't going to just pop off the, the box score. I get it, but he's shown some of that stuff. And so, and then that's all without the defense, right? The defense is what really truly puts him in this conversation is his ability to rim protect and move. And we've talked about how we don't even necessarily love how Perth is even using him on the defensive end and he could be used better and be more impactful. But I just, I think he, he's that long, smooth, like I shouldn't say super smooth, but long athletic big man who has some potential offensively to be versatile and then be a game changer on the defensive end. Agree. The thing that comes to mind, and I've been using this terminology a lot more throughout the course of the season, is ground coverage, right? Uh, he covers ground at an elite level for somebody who is seven foot one with a seven foot five wingspan or whatever he has. And he can move his feet. Like he can slide his feet. He's fluid. He has good hips. He can cut off driving angles. He's a great help defender. Like all of these things really matter offensively. I have not seen much in the way of ball skill yet, and I have not seen a crazy amount yet in terms of believing that he's going to shoot it i think it comes off of his hand softly but at least at volume maybe is a better way to phrase it like i think he can probably knock down you know one pick and pop three or trailer yep. three a game but i don't know if he's going to do it at volume sure. and to this point he's largely been a very perimeter oriented uh offensive player which when you're an 18 year old is not the worst thing in the world 
necessarily like you're growing into your game at a really high level and growing into your game and becoming an NBA player often means improving your perimeter skills. I just think there's a good ways to go still, I would say uh, on his overall offensive package of skills. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it hasn't been wildly great over the course of the last two weeks for Alex R either. Like the Perth has really struggled. They've lost, I think their last four games and there's a lot of pressure there right now to get some wins. So we will see what happens there. I really like Alex R quite a bit, and uh, I will give you the floor. No, just real quick. I just want to say I haven't watched. I've kind of like purposely said I'm going to take a break from NBL because I was watching almost every single game of a lot of these guys, like Lachlan, all of these guys that we've talked about. I was like, I'm going to take a break yeah. just a little bit. I'm going to focus on the NBA. Then I'm going to round back it. And so maybe some people who've watched SAR recently would be like, what are these guys talking about? I will come back to him very, very soon, but watching box scores, it has looked like some of this maybe has tailed off at least just box score watching, not having dove into the tapes, the tape, excuse me, super deep. Okay. Uh, Question number five. As you noted there, we did not talk a lot about this incoming freshman class. Typically, the guys in the mix at number one overall are freshmen uh, entering college basketball, right? Why are we not talking about the freshman class at that level? Is it not very good? Is it down? What's going on there and why do we think it's going on? Yeah, I mean, I I think the easy answer is sometimes these things are just cyclical, right? Like we've had some pretty good classes come through and, you know, those guys ended up being really good players. Paulo Chet, Jabari Smith Jr. were all top of their class. Cade, Jalen Green, Mobley, all top of that class. You know, the, the outlier, I guess, was last year because you had the international prospect in Victor. Scoot was coming from the Ignite. And then Brandon Miller, I think, was, you know, number 14 by 247, you know, depending on what rankings you use. But he wasn't necessarily a top one, two, three prospect in that class. So it we've seen good classes come in and then those guys play well. And right now I think it's just a class that we're not super excited about. Why does this class not have that superstar? I don't know. Maybe we're just being greedy, expecting every single class to have one. I I try to look at the classes coming up. I'm not sure. And that we want to get into this, but what do we think about Cooper flag and Dylan Harper? Do we think those guys are superstars in the next class? AJ Devonsa in the class after that is a guy that everybody knows already. So yeah. Cam Boozer is another one yeah, people yeah, are Cam, very excited about. Yeah, Cam yeah. Boozer Darren in that Pe- class. I, I really like Darren Peterson a lot. I think Darren Peterson is like a real dude. Uh, these next two classes, Cooper Flag in 2025, those three names that Bryce and I just mentioned in 2026, there are some real dudes in that class. I am less enthused by this class in terms of this overall freshman group. I do think there is like some fairly sneaky, reasonable depth in this class, in the 2023 recruiting class, right? Like, you know, just because, you know, we didn't mention, we haven't mentioned Isaiah Collier yet. I guess, you know, that's one guy we should talk about. Like Isaiah Collier is quite good and has a chance to be in the mix at number one overall, depending on how USC season goes. But you know, I'm Bradshaw's not wildly hurt. enthused. Bradshaw's hurt. Aaron Bradshaw's hurt. 
DJ Wagner is a guy I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from scouts on, but also DJ is a little bit smaller and the NBA seems to be going away from smaller guards right now, unless you are the elite of the elite. We've talked a little bit about modest. I quite like Jacoby Walter, but Jacoby Walter is like a six foot four, six foot five combo. E, you know, scoring wing more than anything. Uh, Stefan Castle, you know, is he a point guard? Can he shoot yet? Uh, There's just a lot to work through at the top of the class. But once you get into the mix of some of the, you know, four starry guys, I think there is some real depth. Like Deshaun Harris Smith is a guy I've gotten really positive feedback on at this point. He's going to Maryland, right? Uh, I don't think Milan Momsilovic is like a one and done NBA player, but I've heard good things about him. I've heard good things about Johnny Furphy and El Marco Jackson. Uh, One guy I've gotten really good feedback on is Eve Missy. It, Baylor. Baylor. Uh he apparently has a shot to be like a one and done from what I've been told. Your guy so, Garway Duel at Providence. Garway Duel is a guy Duel, I'm really sorry, excited excuse me. about. Yeah. Jaron Stevenson is a guy that you know there are a lot of NBA scouts excited about right now. Scotty Middleton going to Ohio State. Like you can go into the 60s. Gavin Griffiths this is Gavin Griffiths is someone at Rutgers who I really like, who I think has a chance at some point. Jojo Tugler, I think, was ranked like 70 in this class, right? There there are some real guys as you go deep that have a chance to be maybe one and duns, maybe two and duns, three and duns, but real NBA players. It's just that not many of these guys are actually ready to play in the NBA as soon as next year. And I think that they're even further away from playing in the NBA than what the normal best players in a class are is maybe the fairest way to put it. So do you think it's just a random class, right? We've seen this. We've seen it with NBA draft classes as a whole. You can go through number one pick, Sam, and just based off the number one pick, you can tell like this was a class where we really weren't sure what was going on here, but it was just kind of random. It just happens. Again, it's cyclical. I feel like that's my answer, especially based off some of the names we've already said in the upcoming classes. You don't think there's some big, overwhelming, overarching issue or something coming down the pipe because of it. Look, I'm willing to acknowledge that there is probably some residual impact of COVID-19 here in terms of like, some of these classes being impacted in some way, either in terms of development sure. being a little bit slower yeah, or in terms of identification being a little bit slower uh, where we maybe haven't gotten to see the best of these guys quite yet, but we're getting to the tail end of that. Yes. Like we've seen all these dudes. So I- I'm, I-, I don't know. I- I'm a little bit skeptical on that front of it being a thing. Let's move on now to question number six. Because we think the talent is down at the top of this draft class, does that change how you think NBA teams should be approaching this season? It seems like just about every NBA team, save for, you know, three at the bottom, maybe let's say like Portland, I don't think is like trying to make the playoffs this year they're kind of trying to make a run in some way, either to the play in or the playoffs, even like the Detroit Pistons, the team that, you know, you do a podcast about every game, right? Like they generally are trying to be better this year. Does this weakness at the top of the draft 
impact the way that you think NBA teams will approach the draft and approach the season in terms of trading draft picks, in terms of tanking, anything along those lines uh, moving forward? I mean, my short answer is yes. I, I think this to be true. I don't know it to be true. I haven't talked to anybody with any teams to know whether or not, but you know, you brought up the Pistons and my thing is like, they should try to win 82 games this year. Obviously they're not because they've already lost three and look like they're on track to losing four, but mm-hmm. Like they should compete every single night. I, I just don't know what the advantage. I, I understood it last year, right? Like you, you're trying to go for Wimby or Scoot or Brandon Miller. I, I got it, but to me, right now, there's just not that guy or those guys. Like it even made more sense last year, where it's like, okay, even if we don't end up one, we get Scoot at two, or Brandon Miller at two. The way things turned out, or you get Scoot at three. They ended up falling to five. And that's another, the lottery odds in general, I think, play into this also. So I, I just – I don't see a player or a reason for an NBA team not to. They just – maybe they prioritize their youth, right? Maybe the Blazers say, we're not going to play Brogdon or we're going to trade him. We're not going to – whoever because we want to play our youth. But in terms of actually having the number one odds, I just don't see any reason to do that in this draft. I agree. Look, I think that, you know, as we get close to maybe like the final 10 games of the season, it wouldn't stun me if we see some degree of tanking just because, you know, it's worthwhile in some way, shape or form just to get the best lottery odds and solidify yourself in the top five at the very least. But I I would be surprised if we see like widespread tanking like we did last year. Uh, in any way shape or form uh a lot of people that i talk to on the team side like if they have picks out you know if they have potential for picks to transfer i think they would like those picks to transfer this year so that's what i was gonna ask like if you're the pistons you almost want to be good enough that you want this pick to transfer that they owe the knicks this year so then it doesn't happen a year from now or two i i wonder how much of that plays into like we want to win so our pick actually conveys in this class that people are calling not as good yeah and the pistons you know are in obviously an interesting position where that pick is like quite protected is it not for a while like six five more years it's crazy yeah well and it's like 16 or something oh this this year year, yeah it's still 18 this year or something like that 16 or 18 yeah yeah so like there's just no way that like they could no 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 to that point no but teams that you know if they could i think they would for sure like that that would be a real conversation like it you know probably plays a role in them wanting to be good so i am excited to see how that plays out i wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of these picks get moved at the deadline for vets i would not be surprised if we don't see a lot of tanking i think that this absolutely plays a real role in how teams approach the season uh in general this year from a strategy perspective Uh, Question number seven, who are some of the players that you're looking at as potential swing guys in this class that could take it from, you know, we're essentially talking about a below average draft here to being an average draft or better. Who are some of the players that you think could really emerge and take this class to that next tier of uh, level? Yeah, so it's actually a bunch of names we've already mentioned. Minus one, I think we're almost 50 minutes in and we haven't mentioned this guy's name, but I think Matas is one of those. You know, we both talked about being a little bit lower, but 
what if he can play make a little bit? What if all of a sudden he's running the show a little bit for the ignite along with being an elite shooter and even just a neutral defender, all of a sudden that's a lot more enticing in the top five Donovan Klingon. I think this big man draft in general is going to be interesting to see who separates himself and how much NBA teams value these bigs. Some of these guys, I think Klingon is going to be really interesting because if he takes a jump that a lot of people think he's going to, he could be very enticing for teams. You brought up DJ Wagner and Isaiah Collier, smaller guards, but what if those guys can really create or what if DJ can really just show off his explosion and, you know, creation ability, like separation is what I should say. And then combine creation with it, be impactful defensively, those guys. And then the final two are Castle and Jacoby Walter, because like if Castle is a true point guard at six, five, if he goes to Connecticut and runs the show as the point guard, that's really interesting to me. Jacoby Walter, if he really shoots it and then defends the heck out of people, that becomes more interesting to me. So those were the names I came up with of terms of guys are like, they're kind of exciting, but if they add this other piece or a couple other pieces, you get really excited about who they are as prospects. So I'll name a few others uh, that you didn't hit there. You hit a bunch of them, and I'm glad you did. Tyrese Proctor is a big one for me. Uh, He looks quite good so far early on at Duke. He knocked down like four threes early on in their scrimmage this week. He looks really good already. We know that he can play out of ball screens and be a really high-level distributor. I thought he was fantastic defensively last season as well at Duke. If he can be a genuine shooter as well, which is a skill set that also showed growth throughout the course of last season, he has a chance to go in the top three, I think, in this upcoming class. If not, he could you know, be like an end of the lottery, you know, top 15 kind of guy. Uh, you mentioned Donovan Klingon. I think that's a great name. Isaiah Collier, I think, is a great name. Modest is a great name. Uh, Aday Mara, I think, is a high upside name. You mentioned the big class trying to figure out how to sort through all of those players. Aday Mara is a guy that, you know, scouts are really excited about. A, he seems to be going through some sort of eligibility question right now, according to the Los Angeles Times, whether or not he will be able to play. Uh, it seems like is in question, but if he does, how does he fit with a Dembona and Burke Bouillacton shell? How is he able to utilize his passing uh, for McCronin, who is a coach that traditionally has not utilized, you know, bigs in that way. Uh, he's McCronin's an unbelievable coach. You will never hear me say anything negative about Mick, but it's just not the way he plays. And to me, a day Mara's best skill is his passing ability. Topic, I think is one name that has really already helped. I'll give you one other sneaky name that I've gotten really positive feedback on throughout the course of this pre-draft process uh, in this pre-season process uh, in college. Duke's Jared McCain is a guy that people are really, really excited about. Uh, You know, something like a six foot two, six foot three combo guard who can really shoot it and has exceptionally high feel for the game, really understands how to play. Uh, He has been really really impressive for people that have gone down there to the point where i thought it was questionable whether or not he'd be a one and done it it seems like the odds are he will probably be a one and done based off of what uh you know what i've been told at the very least on how he looks not in terms of anything with his decision making i don't know that Uh, i don't know what he's thinking necessarily 
but from a talent perspective, he looks like a very real potential one and done. Uh, Mackenzie Mbako is a guy I've gotten oh, yeah, yeah. positive feedback Indiana. on. Um, yep. So just some other names that maybe you didn't mention that, you know, could, could really swing themselves. I'll give you one more. That's a returner. And we have a question coming up about returners as well. Uh, if Ryan Dunn can do anything on offense at Virginia, uh, his defense is already ridiculously high level, six foot eight, seven foot one wingspan, uh, enormous dude, phenomenal on the defensive end. Again, I have no idea where he is offensively at this point. I had real questions about the handle. I had real questions about the shooting last season. If he can do anything on offense, that is a potential like through the roof riser because of how good he is on defense already. I want to throw out another name, and I had this at the top of the outline, and we didn't necessarily get to it, but Riley Kugel is a name that some people yeah. absolutely love because he finished off Florida's season last year, I believe his last 10 games, averaging 17 points a game on 49, 40, and 67. And this was, you know, Colin Castleton was injured at this point and Kugel just kind of took over. I'm really interested to see with Kugel, how does he defend? Is he just a nuclear scorer? Which, you know, those guys are still valuable. Like, I'm not saying that if he's only that, he's not draftable. I'm just saying if he does other stuff, if he adds some creation, some defense, he's super efficient. Now you are talking about a top 10 guy, maybe top five guy, like some people have him because it's not just this guy that gets buckets. And if he does it for a 30-game sample, right? It's sometimes a little bit you know, worrisome to just go with those smaller sample sizes at the end of a season, but it still happened for 10 games in the SEC. So that's meaningful. Agree. Could be a real swing guy in this class for sure. Uh, and in general, like the international guys, like Tijon Saloon, yeah, 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 yeah. like again, like real swing guys here that could make this class a lot more interesting. Question number eight, is there anything from the first two weeks of this NBA season that makes you change how you've evaluated the 2024 NBA draft? By that, I mean league trends, the way certain players have looked, the way other players have not looked great so far. Is there anything that you're you're keeping your eye on in terms of trends right now that could kind of change your thought process and how you look at this. So I thought this was a really interesting question that you put in here. And so I immediately went to NBA.com, did the rookies, and just the guys that had played at least four games this year and averaging 10 points a game, or excuse me, 10 minutes a game. I was shocked how many first-rounders are not playing 10 minutes a game right now. Maybe this is the norm. Ooh, this is a good trivia time. So you know the answer to this? Um, yeah, let me count it just to make sure. But yes, I have it. I have it figured up. Okay, so I don't. So this will be a fun trivia thing for me to guess. So say the question exactly what your criteria is again. Okay, let's let's do it this way. How many first-round picks in the 2023 draft are not averaging at least 10 minutes per game? And the caveat is four games played. There are a couple who you know may have only played two games but are averaging yeah. more than 10 a game. So rookies... 10 minutes per game with at least four plus games played. Okay. So Vic is Brandon is scoot is a men and a SAR are that's five. Yep. Case and oh. Wallace, I would say is six. Yep. Derek lively. I would say is seven. Yep. Grady Dick and Jordan Hawkins are. 
Yep. That's eight and nine. Hawkes probably is. That's ten. Yep. Sasser, eleven. Yep. You're missing well, I can't tell you how many you're missing. Don't tell me how many I'm missing. My bad. Cool Bali. Cool Bali. Okay. Go oh, Keontae George. Yep. That's 13. I think my guess would be 17. That's effing impressive, Sam. The answer is that is, right? That is right. You named all 13 first rounders. And then, so the other guys are Kamara and oh, yeah. okay. Vizinkov. Well, yeah, he's, you know, 28 though. Yeah, yeah. So no, that, and that's, and that's what I, that's what I had in my notes yeah. was. So, yep. Interesting. Okay. So 17 guys are not in the rotation right now, basically is the way to put it. And yeah, that says a lot on just the overall readiness of this class. Honestly, I'm surprised that like 13 are. Even this much in the rotation right now? The other now, one is Chet like as well, class. obviously. So Chet from the previous yeah. draft. So Chet's the other name that's a rookie um, along with. But, yeah. So, But the question you asked was in yes. the 2023 class, how many guys are not in the rotation? So, yes. Look, right now, I don't know how many guys in this class, the 2024 class, can play uh, in an NBA rotation from day one. Like it, it's the number is like quite low to me. So with that, what was the point you were going to make within yeah. the context of the question that I asked? Yeah. So like the names that stood out to me that were getting to play was Asar Thompson. I realize he's on a bad team. Keontae George, even Jordan Hawkins, Derek Lively, Grady Dick. They stood out to me because those guys, I think all do one thing pretty darn well. And I feel like that's getting them on the floor. Asar has been really good defensively. Grady Dick spaces the floor. Derek Lively, all the Mavericks are doing, asking him to do is catch lobs, rebound, and maybe protect the rim a little bit. So that was my takeaway. Not that those guys are going to turn into stars. Like they're well, probably not, but I, I think they, I think we can simplify it even further, Bryce. The two things that get you on the court from an NBA perspective from day one are defense and shooting. Yep. Unless you are Vic, Scoot, like highest of the high end, right? The two things that will get you on the court day one in the NBA defense and shooting this 2024 draft class, you know, does not have a crazy amount of that right now. Klingon certainly is a potentially great defender. Alex are certainly a great defender. I mean, beyond that, like, honestly, like Nikola Topic can, you know, dribble pass shoot, but playing young guys like teenagers on the ball in the NBA is not a recipe for success. That's like, that another note I had Sam, was playing point guard in the NBA as a rookie is hard. That was another note I put in there and yeah, like it's tough. That That's, that's a thing that's driving me crazy with the Scoot Henderson conversation right now, playing point guard in the NBA is hard. And we're going to do a rookie conversation maybe next week at some point, maybe that'll be our next week podcast not this coming sunday but the next sunday um being a rookie in the nba is crazy fucking hard and being a rookie that has to be on the ball all the time in the nba is crazy hard 
I thought Scoot last night before he got hurt, you know, you I'm sure have watched that game at this point because it was against the Pistons. Yeah. I thought he was pretty good, to yeah. be honest. Like he had 11 points, seven assists. You know, you turned the ball over maybe two or th- I think three times in the end. But I thought he played well and I thought he played well the game before. He had like 11 and seven again. Uh, unfortunately, he just turned his ankle, uh, got kind of rolled up on it seemed like uh in the third quarter and ended up having to miss the rest of the game but i thought he was like really rolling at that point and he's getting to his spots it's just that the game is going super fast for him right now because he's a teenager playing on the ball in the nba and he can't shoot yet and the final product is what needs the improvement I'm like everything i've seen makes me in no way shape or form worried about scoot henderson right now no, no, he'll he'll be fine. The other thing I had was the contenders are not having to play these guys or rely. And I know people are like, well, duh, they don't rely on rookies. But yeah. I think the thought was with the new CBA, this was going to become a thing, right? The Denver Nuggets got some extra second round picks. It hasn't kicked in yet. And maybe I overestimated yeah. how much they would have to. But none of those teams are playing rookies. OKC, but I mean, to to me, it's more with that. To me, it's more like second and third year guys that you can play. Like if you can get two cheap years on like rookie scale deals, that's an enormous win for you as an organization. Yep. And so that's what defense gets you on the floor and then being good at those singular things. Um, Like I said, lively being able to play finish Hawkins being able to space the floor because um, Brandon Miller being able to shoot at a real level and having gravity. That's a huge factor, and that's why Brandon, I think, has found his sea legs pretty early and has been pretty solid as a rookie to this point. Yep. Okay. In terms of other things that I've seen, again, I bring up the word ground coverage. Like One guy that's been really impressive to me is a guy that I actually just did a YouTube video on, Jalen Johnson. I think Jalen Johnson has been really good defensively to this point. Having guys that are six foot nine can move their feet are really high level processors of the game. That's what I'm looking for. Like I want guys that know what they're doing on the court and have real size and athleticism and hopefully a real skill level. Jalen Johnson has that Jalen Johnson to me has been one of the most improved players in the NBA to this point. Go watch the video I did on YouTube. If you want to see more about him. Uh, I'm trying to think like if there's anyone else that like really truly stands out to me or like any other factor that truly jumps off the page. Yeah. I would say that I just continue to be struck with the idea of what Oklahoma city is building. And that kind of is what I would look for. And it's what I continue to look for in prospects. It's plus size for your position, great processing ability and skill level. Like that, that is my trio of skills that I, a trio of like gifts that I'm looking for above all right now. Uh, hopefully you have length and athleticism and can defend, but if you're smart, you have skill and you have size those that's kind of the name of the game right now. I feel like in the NBA being able to play as big as smart and as skilled as possible. Yeah, I know there is. We've 
positionless basketball and small ball, like all this stuff. Like, I think you said it multiple times. Now you want to play as big as possible while still being skilled or as skilled as possible with as much size, however you want to say it, but that's the name of the game now. And finding guys that can do that is really, really valuable. Okay. Next number nine, who are your favorite returning college basketball players this season? Well, I tried to bring up some names that I didn't think we would have said already that I, you know, already had in my notes. So Proctor was actually one. And yep. this was actually before this even happened, this game theory thing with me. I, I knew you, we had interacted a little bit, um, but I, I knew you were a big fan of Proctor. And so whenever I turned on the film, I was like, oh my gosh, like I just love his wiggle, his start stop you know, excuse my language, but he's just got some shit to his game with the way he plays that I absolutely love. He just very fluidly and he's just aesthetically pleasing to watch play. So, and then he has this finishing package, that real craftiness, positive assist to turnover ratio, all of that mm-hmm. stuff, all, all the reasons you like him. And I, I hate to say like, I like him too, because I don't want people to think it's group think around here. But I fell in love with it whenever I was doing my my dive into him. The other name I want to bring up is one we've talked about also. I think we talked about him again the first time I came on as a guest is Trey Alexander at Creighton. I think that team's going to be good. And I've heard he's been good in scrimmages. He's got the nice pieces around him. I think he's going to be a good player. So that's another name. Uh, I'm trying to save some for whenever we get to the under the radar guys um, next. But those were the two I had in my returners. Yeah, I'll also note Kyle Filipowski at oh, yeah, Duke. Yeah. Uh, Flip is a guy that had surgery on his hips this offseason in order to try and like open up a little bit more fluidity and a little bit more athleticism. If he has that, I mean, he's a real interesting prospect, like a really, really fascinating player. He averaged, you know, with poor hips and like, you know, less mobility than what he thinks is possible based on having dealt with injuries throughout the last couple of years. You know, he had 15 and eight last year at Duke as a freshman. Like that's ridiculous. I think we might be kind of underthinking him a little bit as a prospect entering the season because he can really handle, he's really comfortable with the ball, very skilled. And I also thought his defense was better than what he got credit for it being last season. Uh, in terms of some others, people know that I love Oso Igadaro uh, at Marquette. That is a dude. The guy I might be most excited to see right now is Tristan De Silva at Colorado. Okay. The more I watch him, the more I see a big guy that's like six foot eight, six foot nine, who isn't as athletic as a Franz Wagner or anything like that. Like he's not as fluid through his hips. He's not as fluid uh, in terms of being able to handle, but he is like a six foot eight, six foot nine, like dribble pass shoot guy who can take some ball screens and can set them and you can use him in creative ways. Again, like nowhere near as good as Franz, you know, on the overreactions podcast, be it with Bryce or somebody else this weekend. uh, I have a good Franz Wagner take that we're going to dive into. Tristan has some of that like six foot eight, six foot nine dribble pass shoot stuff though, that I really look for in prospects. Uh, we mentioned Ryan Dunn earlier. Uh, I'm trying to think through anyone else that you know really, really pops. Uh, Milos Uzan is somebody that I am excited about seeing again. Um, you mentioned Trey Alexander. 
Judah Mintz uh, has played well so far for Syracuse. That could be a name to keep an eye on. Uh, is there anybody else uh, that you are enthused about, Bryce? I, see, I was just scrolling through names and not any that I want to say now. Mark Mitchell, maybe a guy I do as we continue yep. to talk about Duke. Um, I know somebody threw in the chat, Dylan Mitchell. I, I, I will say I don't know where I'm at on Dylan Mitchell. I, I'm definitely in excited to uh, see what Dylan Mitchell is. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm a believer, but I definitely want to catch some games early to see if it has improved. You, you know, one game I brought him up earlier. I, I really, really liked what I saw from Kobe Johnson uh, in the offseason at USC playing against Mega. I think Kobe Johnson's going to be in for a really, really big year. I, like if you told me he is USC's best player this year in terms of like impacting wins and losses, even though they have Isaiah Collier, Boogie Ellis, Bronny, like everybody like that, that would not stun me by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. Question number 10. Any sleepers that you are enthusiastic to talk about, Bryce, I will give you the floor. I mean, we could do a whole podcast, whole episode on these guys. I listen, and we will at some point, I'm sure. Dylan Jones is always the number one. Is he still a sleeper? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't count anymore. I am. I am going to give you 60 seconds tops to talk about Dylan Jones. I love Dylan Jones too. I'm all for it. I think this is a great name here. But we've talked about Dylan Jones five times on the show this summer. You put the question in the outline. This isn't my fault. You oh, it's said, my fault. I'm aware. You put it right on the tee and you let me swing away. Like that. So no, we don't have to. I have other names, but I, I have to bring him up because the shot is better. I love it. The yeah. body is better. The team is going to be better. And he's on everybody's radar already. And so I think it's just going to it's gonna take off from where it left off during the pre-draft process. So Dylan Jones, yeah. uh, Desmond Claude is a name at Xavier I'm kind of interested yep. in. They graduated all that backcourt last year. He was essentially asked to just be a defender off the bench, and he did it really well. He's going to be one of the best perimeter defenders in the country, Sam. But I think he's also going to show people what his offensive game is. So Desmond Claude is a name that people probably haven't heard of that I think they probably need to get familiar with. Do you want me to keep going or you want to give your thoughts on Des real quick? No, you, you said everything that I feel like needs to be said. We're okay. Good. Continue. Pay- Peyton Sanford at Iowa, another name that people probably don't know or are very familiar with. But it's going to be his show this year. And this kid can really, really shoot it. And I think he's going to rebound the ball well. He's going to defend at a neutral level at least. I don't know how good Iowa's going to be. But he's a name, especially if the shooting really pops like it did at the end of the year. And then some more. Miles Kelly at Georgia Tech, another guy that can really shoot it. That's a good name. That's a really good name. And a new coaching staff. I watched the film, and this is no shade at anybody. The defense was kind of hard to judge just because they were always switching what they were in and the schemes, and it was zone and matchup zone and stuff like that. I think the tools are there for Miles Kelly to be good defensively, and then if he really shoots it. Keyshawn Gilbert at Iowa State is a transfer from UNLV. I got to watch them practice this summer. One, TJ runs an incredible practice. It was insane. Like the most impressive practice I've watched. And Keyshawn really stood out just with how coachable he was, how hard he works. If he really shoots it, Silas Demiri at Georgia is a freshman that maybe not a lot of people from Combine know about. Dalton Connect at Tennessee burst onto the scene against Michigan State the other day. And then my final name is Connor Sejan at Wisconsin. 
I'm a big Connor Siegen guy. I don't know if he's a draft prospect yet, yeah. but I fucking love watching him play. He he's talks tough, so much shit. He is tough as hell. He's a shooter he like shoot. above all. Like, oh man, that dude, that dude is a baller. Wisconsin fans are gonna love Connor Siegen this year. Absolutely. Uh, in terms of some names. I like Alex Caravan at Connecticut. I think more than a lot okay. of people do. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got him. Yep. Yes. Six foot eight, can really shoot it, can really, really defend, like in a solid clip in a team uh, atmosphere. I think he does a great job. The other guy at Connecticut that I like more than most is Cam Spencer. Like okay. Cam Spencer is six four. I don't know if he can dunk, but that dude can shoot the shit out of the ball. He is a great defender uh, for his size. And also, he is. Uh, like actually able to play like a little bit of point guard, I think as well. I am a, I, I'm quite in. I, I think on those two at Connecticut. Uh, in terms of some wings, I like Wuga Poplar at yeah, Miami yes, a little bit. Yes, really good player. As well, Keyshawn George has popped a little bit for Miami in some preseason action. Uh, six foot eight, kind of wing kind of player uh, out of Switzerland. I'll be interested to see if he plays the three or the four a little bit more. They might just play four perimeter players with him in the mix, as well as, you know, uh, Norchad Amir is like an undersized center. I'm sorry. I love Norch. I don't think he's probably an NBA player, but I freaking love that dude. I'm with it. Uh, in terms of some freshmen, Eve Missy is a guy that I brought up earlier. Uh, I have heard awesome feedback about Eve. Coming I've heard some into really good the season, well. yep. uh, you know, six foot eleven, really long, can rim run, can really defend. Would not be surprised if he is a one and done by any stretch this season. Uh, Deshaun Harris Smith is a guy that is, you know, we've mentioned already. Uh, yep. Kind of a you know aggressive attack oriented guard who plays super oh. hard, uh, tough as hell. Definitely yep. somebody to watch. Uh, trying to like dive deep into some of these, like maybe like off the radar freshmen. I've talked a lot about Garway. I don't need to like do that again. I don't think, uh, man, I feel like there was one Jojo Tugler. I think he's more of a two and done. I want to shout out my man, Ahmed at the swish theory wrote like a long breakdown of Tugler just being like a six foot nine kid with like a seven foot seven wingspan or like whatever he has just like crazy crazy length i think he's probably a two and done but the length is like a real factor there and he is like super impactful in the tape that i've seen of him being able to defend at a real level uh i've heard good things about jamie kaiser at maryland as well i don't know if he's a one and done i think the odds are that he's probably not but uh an interesting name nonetheless. I feel like I've mentioned probably dozens of names at this point uh, that I don't know that we need to keep going. Uh, Jaden Ross at Connecticut is another yep. name that I've yep. gotten a decent amount about, but that's probably it. The, the last question here, and this is a bit of a surprise question that I'm going to throw. Oh at you. man. Are there specific teams that you are looking forward to watching this year in regard to, to the NBA draft. I think UCLA is the fascinating one. You talked about them a little bit earlier, but I feel like there's a lot of international flavor there. And so I'm intrigued to see how that all plays out with them and how they fit all of those pieces together. So UCLA seems to be the name that hits 
right away. As we've talked through this, Connecticut, because yeah. of all the names, the, this isn't like fair for me to say, but sometimes I'm going, can they really have that many NBA guys? So who are the ones that really separate themselves? And so Connecticut will be really interesting to me as well. Duke, we had multiple names there. I think Iowa State is intriguing. Actually, I wrote about this for Draft Digest, Sam, because I talked about Keyshawn Keyshawn Gilbert. You brought up Milan. And then obviously the the headline name there is Omaha Baloo. And I'm really interested to see how Omaha plays. And so I think that's a sneaky team that people aren't always talking about as a team as a whole whenever it comes to the NBA draft. So, look, I'll, I'll play the hits here, uh, you know, with you going a little off the radar. Duke has just real dudes, right? Like Duke has four potential first round picks in uh, Tyrese Proctor, Kyle Filipowski, Mark Mitchell and Jared McCain. Watch Duke this year. Really, really interesting team. I'm f- truly fascinated by Kentucky because John Calipari keeps saying that he's going to play up tempo basketball and have a more modern offensive scheme. So. If that's going to be the case, let's do it, right? Like, I'm excited to see it. Uh, Connecticut and UCLA were the two teams I was going to mention outside of those two. I'm really glad you brought them up. Uh, look, every college coach in the country is looking at this UCLA project <laughs> and seeing, like, how it goes. They, they want to know how these international kids adjust to college basketball this season. Uh, I, I would say that I can... I can probably call it there. Those are those are the ones. USC, obviously, as well, with all of the guards, plus Kobe Johnson. That's a team definitely worth looking at. Uh, yeah, let, let, let's Colorado as well with Cody Williams okay. and Tristan uh, De Silva. I, I'm excited say, to see them. I was going to say, Colorado's a team I want to watch early because I haven't been a big Cody Williams guy, and yeah. I want to find out why. So I want to watch him early. He'll be one of my early watches just because I want to be in on these kids. I want to see what everybody else is seeing yep. and thus far I have it. And so I want to see what I'm missing. So I'm going to try to catch Colorado early because of the Silva as well. So I can, you know, get two of them in there. And then the other last team I will mention that I think people should just watch is Marquette. Uh, Marquette is the most fun team to watch. They play wow. the best style of basketball. They are tremendous to watch. They are a really, really fun team. Uh, just in terms of their offensive firepower, they have a great passing center in Oso Iguodaro. Tyler Kolek, I think, is a sneaky NBA prospect. I'm just He's saying. He's so good, man. He's so, so good. good, so tough, knows how to play basketball at an exceptionally high level. Uh, and then I actually kind of sneaky like David Joplin as well. Okay. As somebody okay. to watch for is like a big six foot seven, you know, shooter that hopefully can show some strides defensively, but athletic enough to potentially be like a real interesting upside prospect. Bryce, we went in an hour 17. I feel like we did well here. What is going on, buddy? And tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah. So at Motor City Hoops on Twitter for Pistons, NBA Draft. I've been trying to do just more general NBA content now. Whenever I'm watching games, I'll clip stuff out, talk about that stuff. Um, Draft Digest for NBA Draft articles. I have my Under the Radar and Small School Prospects articles coming out this week. One may have actually dropped today. And then the Pistons Pulse, if you want to listen to Pistons Talk, me and my guy Omari Sanko for the second Pistons Beat Writer for the Detroit Free Press dropping on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, depending on when the Pistons play. So as always, 
had a blast, Sam. This was the first like true NBA draft one we've got to do since I came on as an official co-host. So this was exciting. I was yeah. nervous. I, I did. We had 16 pages of notes. I don't think people understand how much we prepare for this <laughs> stuff. So when you tell me there's a rogue question coming in there, my heart literally drops and I freak out like did all of this stuff. And then he's going to throw something at me that I don't have an answer for, but that one wasn't too bad. So I appreciate yeah, it. That's an easy one. I figured it was. Uh, go to the athletic, keep me employed over there. Go to the YouTube channel. I've done breakdowns this week on Jalen Johnson, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Jalen Duran, Jalen Duran with Don Chet Holmgren, Wemby already go there, go look at those You're videos. Crushing, I just You're sit crushing. here for an hour and talk through game tape and they tend to be, I think they're pretty fun at least. Uh, we'll see if people like them. I think people have so far. That's all I've got though. Uh, I think that we will be back Sunday. Yep. I don't know if I'll make Bryce come back yet. There's someone I'm trying to get on for okay. a little while. But the Sunday podcast will be overreactions again, week two overreactions uh, to the NBA season. So I'm really excited to dive into those. But that's for Sunday. Until next time, we'll talk soon.